0: We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest.
1: I'm Kate and I'm an alcoholic. And my Sobriety date is December 19th, 2022, and that's my most recent sobriety date. I had a lot more in the past, and I'll get to that, but I'll tell you, I guess, sort of how I grew up, and we'll start there. I'm 29 years old, so I was born in Michigan and we moved I have a twin brother we moved all over the southeast because my dad worked for General Motors I had a really nice childhood in terms of just our standard of living and moving never scared me um, because I always had my brother with me and we were very close and we shared a lot of the same interest. Even today he has we have the same sense of humor and we have a great relationship. So I was never lonely as a kid because I always had him. I was never nervous to be pulled in and out of school or start at a new school in the middle of the year because he was doing it with me. My mom, She was a stay-at-home mom when we were younger, probably up until 10 or 11, and uh, my dad was gone a lot, but we were always going on nice vacations. We would go see my grandparents. They lived in different states. We would go to summer camps, and my mom let us play whatever sport we wanted. So in the childhood aspect, I really can't complain for a long time in this program, I felt like maybe I wasn't, I mean, there were a lot of times I questioned whether I was an alcoholic, but I didn't think I had, you know, a traumatic childhood. Like I heard other people in the rooms talk about, I wasn't molested. I wasn't abused or anything like that. So I've reconciled it with, at this point, but Yeah, I can't complain about my childhood. There was one aspect of it, um, and that was my parents' relationship. They didn't have a happy marriage from the time I was really, really little. One of my first memories was my mom throwing like an entire pot roast that she had cooked out in the yard because my dad had done something to upset her. And we didn't know it at the time, but there was infidelity on my dad's part and um, drinking, you know, alcohol abuse. And so it led my mom, I would just see her go zero to 100 and not really understand why, just knowing that it was something between my parents that my brother and I as much as we wanted to we couldn't control so that was like the the big secret or like I guess the black spot when I think about growing up was as much as there was you know always food on the table and I never had like worries I was always clean you know and had clothes and that type of thing but my parents It was just such a volatile relationship. And, um, I remember countless dinners where they just wouldn't be speaking to each other. Or I remember my mom crying in the back bedroom or my dad leaving or, and we just didn't know why they argued. I sort of channeled that into, well, how can I, how can I keep the peace? So I was a people pleaser for from a young age, and I remember reading a book, like a Harry Potter book, for like hours on end, hoping my dad would notice and, and say, you know, what a good daughter I was, you know, just staying out of the way, staying out of trouble. And I just, it, it just grew and grew and grew. I had this unsatiated appetite to be praised and to be noticed for doing the right thing to be that good girl and I think my brother less so but we were good kids and we just didn't get in trouble I carried in that people-pleasing mentality into school so I was a very good student I mean I guess you could call it perfectionism. I just wanted to play all the sports and get the best grades. And I was very competitive. Even in high school, I was president of national honor society. I was captain of the cross country club. I was just always, you know, going for the brass ring as my, as my mom would say. And I didn't have a lot of fear back then because I didn't really get rejected from a lot of the stuff I tried. I was pretty successful. So I have good memories in high school and grade school other than like, you know, my family, not necessarily getting along, but I just remember being happy. Some body image issues, but I think every girl goes through that. Uh, (laughs) But, um, Again, when I think back to like why I was an alcoholic, there was a always a part of me that felt like I wasn't good enough. So whether it was thinking that things were not good at home or how my body looked, I just wanted so badly to be perfect. And so I was hiding a lot um, from a young age because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to come off as anything other than this perfect little girl. So yeah, I was making myself throw up Like as young as seventh grade. I remember in, it must have been middle school, I was reading books by Judy Blume and uh, Meg Cabot, and so there were like scenes in there about masturbation. And I I remember trying it and feeling so guilty. There were just so many things that I held in um, because that wouldn't be the perfect little girl image. One of my first crushes in middle school was on a black guy, and I thought in my head that was not good. I don't know where I got that from. But all of these feelings that I just sort of stifled because I wanted to be perfect. And I just, everybody, keep doing what you're doing. Don't have to worry about little me. So that came in the form of eating disorders and all types of stuff. But I never touched alcohol or drugs all throughout middle school or high school. I was like a good kid. And I prided myself on that. I think the accolades and the praise was my first drug of choice. I loved hearing good job and, you know, I loved being the best and I loved being captain and president and all of these things. So with, uh, with having a good career in school, I got into a good university. Go Gators, I guess. And I wasn't feeling too good about myself when I went to college. I had been running cross country um, in high school. But I did get injured. And so my senior year, I had been accepted to the colleges I wanted to go to. I knew I wasn't going to run D1 or D2 or anything like that. So I thought there's no point in in you know having a senior sports year, I guess. Like, what's the point of competing? So I didn't run track because that's what I would do in the spring to stay conditioned for cross country and i gained weight really quick and it wasn't it, it was noticeable for somebody like me because i had been in such good shape and so my parents were making comments kids at school were making comments and i felt my self esteem just really plummet and i was trying to eat clean and go vegan and you know they were Intervals where I was starving, throwing up, just trying everything under the sun to get back to my weight, which was impossible because I was no longer running 10 miles a day. But I didn't put two and two together. So I went to college my freshman year with just feeling really bad about myself. So I did not rush a sorority, which was, I was the only girl at my high school who did not do that. And I didn't want to, because I didn't want to go through rush week and be judged by all these girls when I already felt and thought so poorly of myself. So I kind of got lost in, in the sauce my freshman year, it was a very big school. And since I didn't rush, I wasn't making automatic friends. I had a couple friends. I still was not drinking. I hadn't, I I had maybe tried alcohol at like one party. I don't really remember. Yeah, I, I kind of ate my feelings that year. And so I gained more weight. I had a meal plan. It, it wasn't a good freshman year for me. I came home pretty depressed for the summer and just didn't really know why I had chosen the school I was kind of aimless with my major. I had switched from philosophy to to nursing, to um, education. You know, there were all these things, and I just wasn't happy. I was getting deeper and deeper into eating disorders. My mom did try to get help for me. Looking back, the doctors up there, they were offering me all this medication for anxiety, which I declined because... I didn't think I was anxious. I just knew I was unhappy because I thought I was fat. Um, so, yeah. Then my sophomore year, I thought, and I still wasn't drinking at this point. I still hadn't really tried drugs. It never occurred to me to like get a fake ID or sneak in somewhere. Like I was so naive and a pretty wholesome kid for that matter. <laughs> But my sophomore year, I decided to apply for this internship, which took me to another city. I was going to work in the state capitol. So I was still in Florida, but instead of Gainesville, I was in Tallahassee. That was where I started my, my drinking. So I was still, I, I was searching for something. I was searching for like a new beginning, new friends. New interest. I just was so unhappy at the University of Florida and I thought, well, this is it. This, this internship will take me to a different city, different experience. And what it was, it was a internship for a legislator, like a senator or a, or a representative of your choice, depending on your interests. And you would just work with them for all obsession. And session is the time period where bills are getting written and passed and and lobbied. So I was placed with a guy from, well, it doesn't matter because I guess anonymity, but I had a boss who had a boss and all these, you know, so I was just thrown into this political uh, realm. And even though, It was supposed to be this professional learning experience. Um, That's where I encountered just limitless amounts of alcohol for the first time. It turns out when people are doing this legislation and, and doing all these backdoor deals, there's a lot of drinking that goes on. So even though I wasn't 21, I was being offered drinks and taken to galas and charity events and and meetings and I just found myself with a drink when I tasted the drink I don't remember my first drink second drink anything like that but I do remember the feeling of you know the big book says you know I have arrived or Bill's story for me it felt like the just this sense of relief I wasn't worried as much about my weight or my image anymore um I felt like I could be more outgoing I felt like I could talk to boys so at this point I was 20 and like I said I was super naive so very early on when I would drink I got myself into situations with men uh even older men because I was at this internship Um, that I regretted. So that, that demoralization happened pretty early on, but it was nothing compared to the confidence and the fun that I thought I was having when I drank. It was like the at a girl feeling times a hundred. I felt like I could do anything. So, um, I came back to my college to finish because that internship was only a semester so five months and you know learning the ropes with different types of alcohol because I was drinking with older people I tasted anything and everything um so I came back with this sophisticated palate if you will and um so I was drinking alone, drinking whenever I could get my hands on it, really. I don't think I was 21 yet. Maybe I was 21. Yeah, I turned 21 that fall. So I had a little break in summer, and then I turned 21 uh, that fall. And somewhere along those lines uh, or that timeline, I had gotten uh, intoxicated I still didn't feel very confident with guys. My experiences with them were mostly with alcohol, like after I had been drinking. And so this was the same case. I met this guy and we hooked up. And the next thing I know, like within a week I had symptoms that, you know, I had never experienced before. And, I say this in my story, like especially with, you know, something like a platform such as this, because I wish there had been somebody to talk to me about it because I had never felt so alone in my entire life. And so when I look back and I'm talking about genital herpes, this guy gave me genital herpes. When I look back and think about that time, I was so depressed I had gone to the doctor, and when she confirmed it all, you know, she said, This is common and uh, this is manageable, and, uh, you know, one in five people have it or something like that. But I didn't hear that. I heard, like, that I was stupid. I heard that I was dirty, um, that I was unlovable. I just, I was just devastated, you know, because I was a, a naive girl and I hadn't been that promiscuous. And so it just, it really just (laughs) put a damper on, uh, on everything. I didn't know how to handle it. So when I look back in hindsight, I, you know, that's not what made me an alcoholic, but it did make me want to drink more and numb more and just Because there was no, you know, there was no herpes anonymous. There was no one I could confide in. And when I tried, and this is just trial and error for somebody who gets something like this. The first couple of times when you are with another person and you're having to disclose it. I mean, that can be just as traumatic too. And I didn't know to wait until you got to know somebody better, I didn't know that you didn't have to tell somebody right off the bat. For some reason, I I thought it defined me. I thought I had like this scarlet letter um, that said I have herpes, and I thought, well, I need to tell them before they figure it out on their own, and they need to, you know, see if they still want to be with me. So I just handled it recklessly for quite a while. And it caused me to drink a lot. So that year, I had turned 21. I was home for summer break. And I got my first DUI. My parents were obviously upset for all the reasons that a parent would be upset for something like that. And when I think back to the progression of alcoholism and, and my disease, it's so obvious to me now getting a DUI at age 21, having drank for literally less than a year. But at the time, I thought, this is a fluke. This is a mistake. This is really unlucky. I didn't really have any intention of stopping. So there was a little bit of a dry period. Um, I did for my parents. I think I went to a couple meetings, but I wasn't taking AA seriously at all. A couple seeds were planted during that time. And my teacher that I had to take at the Florida Safety Council for like a a DUI class, I remember her telling the class, 50% of you will be back. And I thought, oh, my God, that is such a crazy statistic. How could anybody be so stupid to get two DYs? And she she wasn't mean about it. She was just very frank. And there was, and I ended up getting another one, more on that later. But there was also a moment where she pulled me aside and said, you know, you're a pickle. And once a cucumber becomes a pickle, you can't turn back into a cucumber. And um, I remembered that way later on down the road when I started going to meetings and taking the AA thing more seriously, but I wasn't ready to hear it then. So I did my probation, but unfortunately, now I'm going into my senior year of college and all of the job opportunities, I mean, I had good grades, I wasn't partying that much, like I said, because I had that other diagnosis that just made me want to drink alone mainly. Um, So I had good grades and I had a lot of job opportunities that I then lost because of that first DUI. There was a possession charge they threw on there too, for a little bit of weed I had. I think even paraphernalia. The they put a charge on there too so it was just a big big mess that made getting a job in the field I wanted to at that point I was an English major and I thought I was going to teach well they didn't want me working with kids with that recent of an arrest um, an arrest of that nature so my options went from the world was my oyster to what am I going to do So I didn't want to live at home. Um, I love my parents, but it was not easy living with them, especially after that first arrest and um, they wanted a lot of control and I didn't want to be under their roof. So I stayed in Gainesville and I got this job selling flood insurance and it was, Such a terrible job. (laughs) I I will never sell insurance again. And my goodness, um, it was good money and it allowed me to live on my own like I wanted, drink how I wanted. But again, when I, when I think back to my progression, I kept changing and, and moving the goalpost and my standards were just getting lower and lower. I had so many dreams of of writing and teaching and doing all these things. And because of the arrest, well, really because of my drinking, um, not to rationalize, because of my drinking, now I was in a really crummy insurance office doing something I had no interest in doing. Um, so I did that for a year and a half. And then they fired me um and they fired me for a reason that I can't remember but it had to do with drinking because I just remember my behavior and I don't think I was very employable at that point I really didn't care I remember they would give me like work to do and I would literally take like the stack of papers of like people's policies And just put them through the shredder. And me and my friend would laugh about it. So they had their reasons for firing me. And maybe it wasn't technically like drinking on the job. But I just had an attitude um, that I just didn't really care. So I lost that job. And I was in a panic because I had just bought a car. I had bought this little Mazda Miata that I just I loved. I had it up until a few years ago. And I knew I had to find something else quick. So, I found another insurance agency. I didn't tell them why I had lost the first job. They hired me pretty quickly, and I was back to the races again. I had my income, my paycheck, and I could drink again how I wanted to. Probation from that first arrest was long over at this point, but I hadn't learned my lesson, right? So I was smoking. I was taking different types of, like, Adderall and Vyvanse pills, um, and this had been going on for, you know, from sometime in college up until this point. So maybe, like, anywhere between two and four years and that's what kept me skinny so like I was just in this mindset of really fast living and wanting to drink every day use every day that Adderall you know made it so that I could work in an office environment and and get my work done but quickly alcohol overthrew that I started drinking on my lunch breaks drinking before work drinking at work, drinking after work. And it just got out of control very quickly. Within six months, I don't even think it was six months, I was fired from that second insurance job. Uh, so this time I was less surprised, but I was still you know, self-righteously angry. How could they do this to me? And so that night... I went home and I Googled where can I drink all day or something like that? Where can I drink while I work? And um, (laughs) which is really idiotic when I, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but that was my goal, right? I kept moving the goalpost. And so these little office jobs weren't enough for me to drink how I wanted to. So I had to figure out a way where I could keep drinking because removing alcohol from my life was not an option for me yet. I didn't really see how that would make me happy. So anyway, I'm Googling, I'm probably drinking, uh, maybe bong hits in between my Google searches and this thing pops up about a TEFL certificate abroad and TEFL stands for teaching English as a foreign language. And there were all these places you could go. And I was drawn to the Czech Republic because they had the highest drinking rate per capita. Um, and then my grandma, she was Czechoslovakian. So I thought, this is a sign from God. I need to go to the Czech Republic. And so within... I was fired in January of 2019. I was in Prague by March of 2019, which I don't recommend doing. I mean, I booked a one-way flight and I I just was not prepared. There was like all of these gaps in knowledge, you know. I was under the impression that I would be able to communicate with people, but they speak Czech there. I didn't think I had to change my bank cards or do anything like that. Well, they have a whole different currency there. And this is just like that, that drinking mentality. You know, you're not really thinking too far ahead. I was just thinking about the beer when I got there. So somehow I made it over there and I did take a TEFL course, but it was kind of scary. And I put myself in a lot of compromising situations that would not have happened had I been more prepared, more self-aware, because I, you know, I went across the world by myself. It was just a major learning curve in a country, and a culture that doesn't really have patience for a young, drunk, oblivious American girl. So a lot of hard lessons were learned there. Um, and I was taken advantage of. And, um, you know, when I think about my alcoholism, I do think that was my rock bottom. I also didn't know how to get health insurance over there. So I completely went off my birth control, which I had been on for eight or nine years. I think that combined with drinking, I mean, my hormones must have just been insane and I was just throwing alcohol upon alcohol on top of it. So that's why I say it was probably my rock bottom or close to it because I was isolating. I was alone, truly alone in another country. I had a couple expat friends, but just some really dark times over there. So I made it. In the Czech Republic for about 10 months, I was teaching adults, but that didn't last because you had to be, you know, somewhat professional and, and stand upright, but I couldn't even make those lessons. So then I switched to a school, um, like this international kindergarten and God bless those kids that nothing Happened on my watch because there were, I mean, the rules over there are completely different than they are in the United States. So I had a lot of freedom with these little children and I got to walk them to public parks and they would climb trees and they knew three or four languages, not just Czech, not just English. They knew Polish or German or even Chinese, some of them. It was just incredible. I was not as diligent as I should have been because I was either hungover or had a drink in a water bottle that I was hiding. I just was really lucky that nothing happened while I was watching them during the school day because it was more of a daycare. Like it was five years old or younger, these kids were. And so anything could have happened and i just got lucky that nothing serious did because i wasn't incapacitated but i was i was pretty tipsy or buzzed or just not as aware as i should have been when you have young children Uh, so anyway then i couldn't even teach at the school anymore they were paying me okay but with how I was drinking and my habits and needing to miss work and stuff like that. It just wasn't going to last. So I switched to nannying and you know, those families were so nice, but it was the same thing of I had a problem and I finally reached a point where I knew I had to go home. So I flew myself and my parents had actually Come over. I think they knew that I was just slipping into this oblivion. I mean, we had stopped FaceTiming and we had stopped FaceTiming because I was falling and hurting myself. And, you know, I had a black eye at one point that I didn't know. I mean, I knew how I got it, but it was just, I didn't want them to know. And so they were getting really scared. So they had flown over, I think, in December. Yeah, I got there in March. They flew over in December and attempted like this intervention with me. And so then in January, I flew home. So I had made it about 10 months and I promised them I would book a flight, which I did. And I came home. I was running out of money, I was just not doing well. So I thought, okay. Once I come back to the United States, I'll be able to figure out this problem and get a job, you know, just still to stop drinking was not off the table yet. So. So, yeah, January of 2020, I made it back. And then that February, I got arrested again (laughs) for my second DUI. That's why I think back and I, I wish I could remember that lady's name, the first teacher at the Florida Safety Council. Cause I remember thinking, God damn it. She was right. She was right. And it was within that I, I had a five year period where the one, the first one from 2015 would have been expunged. But it happened within this, within a span of five years. And I was on that tipping point. August of 2020 was coming up. But I got arrested again in February 2020. So my consequences and everything just were magnified and doubled. And it was not a good situation. And I won't go into the detail of how that second DUI happened, but it was just, it, it really is, um, a miracle that I didn't hurt myself or another person. So. I went to jail, got out, whatever, Um, and at that point, I realized, okay, I need help, and my ways and my ideas are not working. Plus, I was back at my parents' house, and they would not let me do anything except go go to church or go to AA. So I decided to go back or try, give AA a real try. And um, things got better for me very quickly. I got a sponsor and she convinced me to apply for whatever job I had ever dreamed of doing. And I still wanted to teach. So about within like the first four months of getting sober, I got this job as a teacher at a private school and my sponsor at the time convinced me to be honest and tell them the whole back history of my DUIs and whatnot. And she promised me that, you know, God would provide for me if I was just honest and willing So I did that and I told the principal, you know, I wasn't, I didn't go into like morbid detail, but I said, Hey, when you pull this background check on me, because they they fingerprint you to work in a school, this is what you're going to see. And I was pretty matter of fact about it and honest. And I got the job of my dreams. So within the first, like I said, the first six months, four months of Attempting to get sober the first time, the, the promises, I'm like saying that sarcastically, but things were happening in my favor that made me think it was me doing it. And so the motivation to continue going to meetings or work the steps or stay diligent and have some sort of daily program, I was not motivated to do that. I had also found who is now my husband, I found him in the rooms very early on, probably in my first two months of the first time I got sober. So all of these things were happening where I was like, wow, God is great. All I had to do was put down the drink. These steps, these 12 steps seem a little too serious. I don't really want to go back and think about all the people I've wronged. What's it matter? So I just kind of put my job first, which we were teaching. My first year teaching was during the pandemic. So it was a really, really tough year. And I stayed sober through it. But I didn't have a foundation in AA. It was a Catholic school. So I thought I had like a spiritual foundation or connection to it because I was raised Catholic, but when push came to shove and when they did not renew my contract for the following year, I, I was devastated all over again. It felt like back in college when they told me I had herpes, what, what the heck did I do wrong? And the principal had her reasons for why she didn't want me to teach again, but for me to my ears it was I'm not good enough and clearly staying sober isn't isn't working so I didn't go out and drink that day I think I white knuckled it for like that whole summer following that school year I was applying to teaching jobs and I got hired at other schools but the schools I wanted wouldn't take me because of my arrest. The schools that would were too far or too low of pay. So I I was losing hope very quickly. And um, I wasn't going, I guess I was going to meetings, maybe sporadically, because my now husband, he's been sober for a few years. But he was like the book says, he was kind of letting me figure things out on my own. He couldn't tell me that diving into AA would have made me feel better. He just tried to be there for me the best he could. So I got a job as a receptionist um, at a law firm, and it was not even a month into that. Maybe it was like the the feeling that I was back in the insurance office, I don't really know, but I quickly started drinking again. And it started as a beer um, on my lunch break. And then I was buying stuff on the way home and, and hiding it. And it just got really bad really quick. And luckily, I didn't suffer legal consequences this time. But I did hurt my husband deeply. And I didn't see it. I really didn't see it. So we were, we had gotten engaged. I was kind of doing like spurts of staying sober. He wanted me to have 90 days before we got married. So I did that for him. This brings me to my, I guess my most recent sobriety date. My first round in AA, I guess I should have mentioned, I had like 18 months or something like that before I had picked up a drink again. And that was without finishing the steps and blowing off my first sponsor and yada yada. So now I'm like sort of dipping my toe back in. Like I knew what AA was about and I would go like one month or two months the receptionist job, my husband had wanted me to quit because I was drinking on lunch break. Well, what I did was I went and found a waitressing job where I was like drinking all throughout my shift. So it just, as soon as I introduced alcohol back in my life, I was moving the goalpost again. My standards would change. Thank God I didn't cheat or do anything like that, but I, was just, my behavior was just deceptive and not good. And the progression of how quickly thing, like how, how bad things get, it was just like that. It it happened like with the snap of your finger, you know what I mean? So he had me quit that job too, the waitressing job. And now we are coming up on getting married and I did 90 days for him. And everything seemed to be fine because I also decided, well, maybe I'll get my medical marijuana card and that'll like make me drink less or something, which surprise, it doesn't. So that brings me to, we got married November of last year and I was sort of, going to meetings I think I hadn't picked up a drink so like I stopped in August of 2022 and we got married November 5th and then I don't remember if I was drinking or not but I was definitely smoking and I wasn't working and it was just kind of uh, in limbo right and I told my husband that I would make cookies for his work party his office work party he has a good job and so I was baking for him and I was at my parents house because they were out of town and they have a nice kitchen and my now husband and I we lived in this small one-bedroom apartment so I was over there and I remember feeling totally insane Like hormone wise, I thought I was going to jump out of my skin. And I had smoked a little bit, but it occurred to me that, you know, maybe I should drink because why not? And I was at my parents' house and they had some stuff. So I cracked a beer that I had found and took a couple sips, and that wasn't doing the job. Um, so then I poured a shot of vodka and this was on December 19th of last year. And when I tried to take the shot, I couldn't, like I spit it out the little bit that I did try to swallow and my body just completely rejected it. And um, sometimes I think that is part of my spiritual experience because I had never you know, I'd gotten sick and all that. But for my body to outright reject it, I just remember thinking like, God, what's going on? Like they talk about the allergy, right? And I was like, this is just, I've never not been able to, to drink vodka. That was like what I always drink. And here my body was just like, nope, not today. And within three days, I want to say, I found out that I was pregnant. And that brought so many emotions because number one, I knew I had to get serious about AA. So I threw myself back into meetings and I got another sponsor and we worked all of the steps and I told my sponsor like, Hey, I'm going to talk to Tara and can we please finish the steps before? Like I, I talked to Tara. So I just had a new, motivation and incentive to work this program in a way that I had never worked the program before and it also was important for me to take AA seriously because I was one of those people that thought when if if I got pregnant I wouldn't have the urge to use like I thought that would just go away. And so I'm a little shaky. Um, I had so much shame upon finding out that I was very, very pregnant, like in the early weeks when I took that shot, but those feelings of wanting to drink and wanting to smoke, they were still prevalent. And I thought that once I knew I had a baby, like a small human growing inside of me, that there would, That those feelings wouldn't be there, but that wasn't the case. So I knew I had to try a different way and finally, finally, finally accept that I had this disease, that I was a pickle, and just give this a hundred percent the same energy that I had spent trying to drink successfully and normally. I had to give. To the AA program, so that was basically it. These I'm almost up to six months now from when I took that shot, and I'm 27 weeks pregnant, and um, it's just been a, a totally different mind shift for me because I've been able to admit that I am powerless. Um, to alcohol and probably most other substances. And I'm working with a sponsor who told me that all I had to do was have a little bit of willingness and that faith will follow. And she told me that I had to be 100% honest and that the gifts and the promises will come true if I stay patient and I stay honest. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I've finished the 12 steps, like I said. I'm happily married. And I have my first baby on the way. And I wish I had something more eloquent to close with. But um, that is it.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Kate. Very soft storyteller. And I love listening to stories. And yours was well-spoken congratulations on the baby do we know if it's a boy or a girl
1: it's a girl <laughs> oh,
0: yay I have three boys so I have no wise advice except oh my gosh good luck <laughs> uh, thank you I I have this committee In my head, I just recorded an episode yesterday and the gentleman was telling me about his committee. So now it's this committee in my head and part of me that wants to fix the world has advice for you. And part of me is like, but you're recording an episode, so focus on what you're doing. Um, (laughs) But I'm going to let this committee member win. Do not let go of the program when that baby comes. It is so hard to be a mom in sobriety, a new mom, new baby, the hormones are whack-a-doodle. The baby is needy. You're missing sleep. You're going to feel alone. Nobody's going to understand. Get in the middle of the herd. Stay yes. there now. Ask for help. Accept help. Sleep when the baby sleeps. Do not think you got this because when the baby comes, it's going to be so hard. Nobody tells you that. They're like, oh, it's a new baby. It's so great. It's like, oh, no, no, life's going to suck for the next year. It's going to be harder than you've (laughs) ever known it. It is wonderful, and it's joyful, and there's great memories. But as a mom who has three kids, two in sobriety or not sobriety, I'm telling you, the shit's hard, and you're going to need the women of this program. You're going to have to accept help. You're going to have to sleep when you don't want to sleep. And... And you got to get into the program, find some Zoom meetings. So you have those already, you're already connected on Zoom before baby comes. I have a great Friday morning meeting that I go to. It's a women's meeting. It'll be 10 o'clock your time on Friday mornings, but there's so many out there. Um, So that committee member got its (laughs) lecture, but it's only because I love you. And I want, I love, I love that you're sober and I love your the potential of having a lifetime. There are also so many women in the program that got sober when they were pregnant and are still sober today, decades later. So women do it all the time.
1: So amazing.
0: I'm done. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. I did it all wrong. So I think that's probably where my passion comes from because... I did it all wrong, but we won't get into my story. My story's on here, so you can go listen to it. I did it all wrong. (laughs) So I have a couple of like actual story questions, and you could say decline to answer, and I'll cut it out of the final recording, but why did the Catholic Church let you go when you had that 18 months of sobriety? What was her reason for letting you go? It
1: was purely from a professional standpoint, I suppose the Catholic school that I worked for, she told me my classroom management was not up to par. Mm. Um, I know that there were parents complaining about me for just normal missteps that a first year teacher would make. Got Um, yeah, it was that all of the above. And I just didn't make the cut. It's a very prestigious school and they were like, go kick rocks. We got to get somebody in here with more experience.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. Okay. And then when you were talking about your sponsor around that, that same time, that sponsor during that time, you had used words like, she convinced me to apply for my dream job, and she promised me. And the intonation made me feel like, I don't know, she did something wrong, or you didn't believe her. or And so talk to me about that.
1: No. My first sponsor was amazing. And if anything, she gave me this confidence because when I came into AA, I had zilch, zero, nada, nothing. And so my perspective on getting a job after now I've been arrested twice, I thought I was doomed to keep selling insurance or or waitress or just do something not and not something that I wanted to do. So really I have so much gratitude for her because she sort of helped me pick myself up by the bootstraps and said, "You got this. You can now that you're not drinking, you can do this and you can speak for yourself and go to an interview and explain these things in a way that can make sense and and work to your benefit." So no, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming her that there were like these unfulfilled promises. I think I just got so many good things that happened to me in the beginning that it, I just lost the motivation to take the program seriously. I thought it was an I job, not a we job or um, like a God thing. I thought I had gotten myself sober and I had gotten myself the jobs and, and all of that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause you're the perfectionist that goes above and beyond for the brass ring. Right. <laughs> you're like, of course I did all this.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm like, well, this happened quicker than I thought it would, but you know, give myself a pat on the back and I don't need to go to meetings anymore.
0: How is your image now? You had mentioned having some body image. Well, you didn't lightly mention them. You had struggled quite a bit, but you shared it lightly, but it was pretty serious problems. Are you doing okay as your body changes and you grow a human in there?
1: Yes. My man, I haven't thrown up probably since my senior year of college intentionally. Um, I was obviously sick a lot when I was drinking, but once I found my husband, you know, they say when you meet the right guy, but when I found him, he just accepted me with this, such a genuine heart. And I found those problems just really melting away. I I don't have any or as much insecurities. Not to like place all this power like behind a man, but just having a really genuine, honest, safe relationship with someone has just meant the world to me. So, yeah, they kind of went out the door when I met him.
0: Hmm. I didn't realize you were so young when you met him
1: funny, funny you say that because we actually met, we went to sixth grade together. We rode the same school bus. Oh, And, um, (laughs) Mm. uh, I walked into one of my first AA meetings and he looked kind of familiar and I was just enamored from that point on, but we grew up in the same town and, um, we have a lot in common and he will have six years sobriety in
0: September. Mm. We should get him on here next.
1: I told him, yeah, he's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try, I keep working on okay, it.
0: Okay, all right. So, a couple more questions. You had dreams of writing and teaching. Do you still have those dreams?
1: Yes. You know, thank God that I found this program again where I was able to go back through and reconcile what I thought as a failure because when I lost that you know, didn't have my first teaching contract renewed. I had taught abroad. I know it's a passion of mine, but just the hiring and the firing was really, oh, it just, it just brought me to a dark spot. But I do know that it's my passion. I'm not working now, but in 2025, I will be eligible to teach anywhere, not just convincing the private schools and you can't drive the school bus. So I'm kind of thinking like maybe after this baby is born, if I go back to work, it'll be the same timeline of when legally these DUIs will have a little bit more time behind them and I haven't gotten in trouble since. So yeah, but I think of writing all the time and I do journal a lot. Um, so hopefully that's still something that I can do.
0: Yeah. All right. Is there anything that you're thinking of now or that you left out of your story that you'd like to share?
1: Um, kind of reiterating what what you had said at the beginning, I I do have a fear that when I deliver this baby that I will somehow think I'm cured of alcoholism. And so I've just been throwing myself into meetings. I made sure that I finished the steps. Now I'm working with one other girl for the first time, whereas I had never stuck around or, you know, I just never took this thing seriously. And I do have a real fear of relapse again. So I'm just giving this everything I have and kind of going in with a blind face. Yeah, I don't know if, I, yeah, I don't think I said that, but sometimes I do get scared or because I have this built-in forgetter where I can rationalize my disease and I think I'm too young or it wasn't that bad or it's been nine months, you know, don't I deserve it? I just have to keep quashing those those thoughts. They're short-lived, but they still come. And so that's why I've been just calling women in the program and doing as much as I can to, to stay in the herd. Like you
0: said, you know, they say, whatever you put before your sobriety, you lose first or some, some expression like that. Essentially, you've got to put your sobriety first, which is so easy to do when you don't have children. And then you have this little human and you're like, how do I put anything before this human And that's when you will have to choose your sobriety first and you will, you have your husband, you have, you're putting the effort in now you're connecting. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. You, you have, um, the willingness and the action behind the willingness. And I think you'll be okay. Thank you. I think that there's this healthy balance for me of, I call it fear of drinking again. My old-timer friend Gary calls it, it's not fear; It should be respect. You should respect alcohol, not fear it. I'm like, whatever, Gary, you can call it whatever you want. I have a fear of that shit ever being in my body again. And then old-timer Bob says, you know what, Kate? No matter what, even if our ass is falling off, we don't drink. So Mm -hmm. it's like that is... All we got to do is just do not drink and have faith that we have faith. Don't have enough faith. Just have faith that you have faith and everything will be okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting off my soapbox now. (laughs) My son's 24. So you're 29. His girlfriend's 30. So I'm, I'm uh, treating you as if you're my daughter-in-law and not another fellow member of AA. (laughs) who is a grown woman who can take care of herself. Okay. So for the final question for the alcoholic out there, well, you know, and I want to say you talked about your hormones a lot and I'm going to say this, I did the same thing you did with like, I'd get a month or two and I would drink every time around my cycle, right before I'd start my cycle, I would end up drinking again. And you mentioned hormones when you were in the Czech Republic and like, so that whole hormone thing and, and not feeling like yourself and all of that is about to get, next level so Mm -hmm. all of my lecturing comes from not a random place but a place where I'm like oh shit girl this is about to get heavy with hormones but um but you'll be fine you'll be fine okay (laughs) back to the recording Tara I don't know how I'm gonna (laughs) edit this mess okay For the alcoholic out there who's sort of in the program, but nah, maybe hasn't done the steps or hasn't done them thoroughly or whatnot, what message would you like to leave to that person that kind of has one foot in, one foot out?
1: Oh, man. Um, Well, my sponsor told me, you know, just a little bit of willingness and to be 100% honest. She told me that, you know, we couldn't really start the steps until I stopped smoking weed. So That took a a little bit of time, but just that you have to have acceptance that we have an illness or an allergy or a disease, whatever you want to call it, but it's not going away. And so I don't spend a lot of time in in the why I have it. Like, why doesn't my twin brother have uh, an alcohol problem? I just have to leave room for understanding. And so for that person, for not understanding... For that person who is sort of wondering or wanting to test the waters and experiment, I mean, you can, but ultimately, 100% acceptance is what gave me relief. Admitting that I'm powerless to this, but I don't have to take another drink. I'm defenseless against the first drink. I don't have to make that choice if I don't take it there anymore. And also that the steps... You know, because I think a lot of people in the program sort of falter at doing this step work. It's it's not comfortable and it's not fun. But when you get to the other side of it, oh my goodness, there's just so much um, relief and clarity and understanding and like the ability to when you're like making those amends and you're forgiving people that you never thought you could forgive. That has allowed me to forgive myself. So it's just a a really beautiful program. And that's what I would say to somebody who isn't really sure. Just keep keep trying, keep coming back.
0: And that willingness and honesty will go a long, long way. For more information, read the first 164 pages of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net.